and welcome to the Raptors show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wim Lu. This is the Canada Basketball Reaction Podcast at the 2023 FIBA World Cup. And unfortunately, Canada faces its first setback of the tournament, losing to Brazil uh, by a score of 69 to 65. So the important news off the top, Canada is still alive if they beat Spain. On Sunday at 9.30 a.m., which you can watch on Sportsnet, Canada will advance and get to uh, the quarterfinals. However, Canada had a very, very strong possibility here of if they had taken care of business against Brazil, uh, they would have been in the driver's seat. They would have put Brazil on the brink instead. And that would have been doubly important because of the fact that, uh, you know, Canada has to finish top two in the Americas. Um to uh, to advance in 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 this whole uh, situation where they're playing for the World Cup but they're also playing for the Olympics. But listen, we put that aside. Canada's alive; they still have a chance. Uh, they just got to beat Spain, which uh, you know not easy. But then again, Spain did get upset by Latvia today. A lot of upsets uh, across the board. You know, we saw Puerto Rico beat uh, Dominican Republic as well. Um, so, but regardless, let, let's talk about this game itself, which. Um, is unpleasant. It definitely brings back a lot of the horrors of uh, FIBA basketball for, um, you know, Canadian fans who have watched this. I'm sure people will link this to the loss uh, against Czech Republic. I'm sure people will link this to the loss against Venezuela. Like, there's just all these infamous losses that Canada has suffered. Um, but I, I, personally speaking, I don't think that that's particularly productive. I think that uh, we can look at the particulars of this game, what worked, what didn't work. And just try to move on from there. I mean, that's part of being in, in these kind of tournaments. Like, typically, you can't even survive one loss. So the fact that Canada still has the ability to advance even after this loss is something to build off of. Now, the mentality required for the players of the organization and even for the fan base watching it right now um, has to be that, okay, this sucks. We sit in it for a little while and then we break it down and then we try to get it back. That's it. Like, there's no real need to sit in this and just wallow and, and make, you know, more of a deal of it than it is. Obviously, it's not ideal that count the loss, but let's break down why count the loss and then try to improve and see where they can get patched up. So I think a game like this really revealed a lot of Canada's weaknesses. And I think that Brazil actually was, first off, all credit to them. They came in with a very, very clear game plan. They slowed down the pace of play. They were very deliberate in terms of what they wanted to attack in the sense that they wanted to get their super quick guard. And I mentioned this at the very end of the podcast yesterday. But can the goal, the key to this game was to contain Iago Santos, who creates most of the offense for Brazil, especially in the half court. And um, yeah, they had him. He's a super, super quick guard under six foot tall. Uh, I believe he plays in uh, for Red Star. Um, so I guess Serbia, but like, yeah, like he is super quick and creates most of the advantages. And that's what Brazil was trying to do. They were willing to kill, you know, 20 out of the 24 seconds on the shot clock, go really late in the possession. And they would try to get their matchups. They would try to get Santos against um, Kelly Olenek. They would try to get him against Dwight Powell. And then even at the end of the game, when Canada went small, they still found ways to get him advantages. And I'll discuss all of that. But that was one half of the game plan. Now, it's not like Brazil won this game on offense. Like, 69 points is not a particularly good output just in general, but they got enough done on offense, and I think that a couple of things, too, with their offensive strategy. Number one, by playing in the style where they're not really initiating their offense until late, and they're not really relying on very much passing at all, what Brazil was able to do was really, really limit their turnovers. Canada, as 
really been able to not just win games so far, uh, but they've been able to win possession battles. They've been able to get on the offensive glass on these tap outs with their wings, and they've been able to you know pressure the ball and force guys into turnovers. They weren't really able to do that today on either front. I thought Brazil did a great job of winning the possession battle, and then that's not too surprising. They have a bigger team than Canada, but they also matched the requisite level of physicality to neutralize Canada's wings on top of the fact that Canada's on-ball pressure didn't really do much against Santos. I mean, all they were really trying to do for the first 20 seconds was to shuffle up the uh, matchups using screens and and, and off-ball actions to make sure that they would get that advantage. And then whatever, like, yeah, Brazil was going to take up, you know, they had like four or five shot clock violations. And on the surface, it looked like that's great defense by Canada. But I think Brazil is very much willing to accept that because shot clock violations and dead ball turnovers are going to keep Canada out of their transition game not committing turnovers is going to keep a can out of their transition game. And that really limited so much of what Canada needed to do. And it kept it to a half court game. Now, of course you wouldn't necessarily expect Brazil to beat Canada in a half court game even, but at the same time that creates the conditions that will allow you to make a comeback or to make, make an upset here. And I think that that's where Brazil needed to come into this game with that positioning, right? We keep Canada off the glass. We keep Canada off the, you know, we, out of transition. We slow it down. We del- make it really deliberate. We put a lot of pressure on their defense, even if it's late in the shot clock, even if we have to take some turnovers, their dead ball turnovers. We play a very, very smart strategy. Now, of course, it's still up to Canada to beat them, and Canada definitely missed lots of opportunities, and I'll get into that in a second. But on the, on the, on the just whole of it, Brazil did an amazing job of coming into this game, preparing their squad. Now, how can Canada avoid some of these things? Well, first off, a couple of things worked. A couple of things really didn't work. Um, I thought first and foremost for Canada, they needed to um, show more in terms of their offensive um, execution. I, I just think that there were just too many plays that were stagnant. Yes, you can live off of some Shea isos and, and Shea was able to get into his ISO bag, but it was very inconsistent at times. He was able to get it off at times. He wasn't, it's kind of what it's been the whole tournament. What's been really able to supplement his offense in between is the fact that he's able to get on transition. Like Shea didn't have this classic poke away th- uh, steal at half court and then run in for a layup. You know, he's been able to supplement his scoring along with most of Canada, really with a lot of transition opportunities in the half court, especially in the FIBA game where, Contact isn't the same. Like, you know, for example, like we talk about this all the time, right? But like Shea will, you know, in the NBA, uh, string out a defender, keep him on island. There's a little bit more space. And then when he beats him and the defender reaches in or grabs or hooks or whatever, and Shea kind of like goes up for the shot in that moment, he can know that he's going up for an and one because he knows how that's going to be officiated. In this kind of context, same kind of scenario, a little bit less space on the floor. Uh, but Shea gets his man one-on-one and it gets hooked and it bumped and he's driving to the rim and he's going up for the tough shot for the N1. The, the call doesn't come and he just takes a bad shot. There's a lot of those kind of moments, not just with Shea. Shea is more prominent because he's playing the most one-on-one and he's playing the most possessions offensively, but it's across the board for Canada. That's the adjustment period that they've had to go through in this entire thing. These are NBA players used to playing an NBA-style game. This is not an NBA-style game. When you watch this game and you saw 65 points in 40 minutes, prorated to the NBA, that'd be like an 80-point game at most. That's probably like a 70-point game. How many 70-point games are in the NBA, right? So you have to really be deliberate. And the way that a lot of these teams, not Brazil in particular, but the way that most teams handle the FIBA competition 
is by running a lot of off-ball actions, is by running your offense as a team, creating the mismatches, playing through the post, uh, using your advantages, all that kind of stuff. That wasn't really happening here for Canada for the most part, and that was disappointing to me. Kelly Olenek, who typically has a really strong impact on the game in terms of his influence, in terms of his moving the ball, in terms of the... The plays where you can surprise a defense by, you know, changing the angle or changing the way you're going to attack by doing the unexpected wasn't able to impact the game like that. A, a couple threes here or there, you know, drew a foul here or there. He's pretty good at that, but just wasn't able to contribute offensively. It wasn't really involved. In fact, you knew Canada's offense was in a bad mode because for the most part in this game, Lou Dort was the leading scorer for Canada. And you think, wait, hold on. Lou Dort's not even a scorer. Lou Dort is a guy who... If he scores, that's a positive for you. But mostly, he's there for defense. He's mostly there for tap outs, right? And if he hits an open three, you're happy with that. The fact that Lou Dort was your leading scorer for a lot of this game, that is a bad sign. And I think, again, credit to Brazil for stacking bodies against Shea. They used two or three defenders against Shea, constantly being physical with them. And it's a level of physicality that I didn't see from... um, you know, France, I didn't see from Latvia, I did not see from Lebanon, right? This was a different level, on top of the fact that Brazil actually had some pretty good rim protection, mostly in the form of Bruno Caboclo, which is actually hilarious that the Raptors got limited by Bruno, but don't laugh because Bruno literally beat Giannis in previous FIBA competitions, okay? So you got to put some respect on this whole entire group, you have to respect the competition, you have to not think and be arrogant about the idea that we have all these NBA players, we roll teams usually, doesn't matter. doesn't matter about usually. In a tournament play, when it's basically win or go home every single time you go out there, you hit one speed bump, you go flying off the road. All right? You have to respect the opposition. So I think for a lot of things for Canada, you know, Shea was still doing his thing. And, and when you look at the overall, it's not like Shea played bad. Uh, what do you have? 23 points and 8 of 18. But he didn't get to the foul line as much. And he wasn't able to create as many as assists. Now, of course, Shea is not a high assist type of player, especially for a man of his usage. But he does create a lot of advantages. That's where the secondary scoring for Canada really struggled. 8 of 30 from 3 for Canada. Um, and and this is in a game where Lou Dort was able to hit you three threes, including actually one three that he made uh, after the buzzer uh, very late in the fourth quarter. But we'll just put that aside. That's a shot clock violation. But still, Lou Dor has like three of your eight threes. Um, no, sorry, he went three or seven from three, my bad. But like, you know, he has so many of your threes. Where's your other offense coming from? Now, that was one of the weaknesses for Canada coming into this uh, into this uh, competition is how much three-point shooting do you really have in the group? And one guy that has been really contributing in a consistent way was Nikhil Alexander-Walker. He's been excellent off the bench. He's their backup point guard, but he's also able to play in tandem with other players where he's not dominating the ball as a point guard, but he can play off ball, and mostly he's been able to hit threes. He was hitting threes at like a plus 40% rate for the three games earlier in the tournament, and he was hitting threes really well in the five warm-up games. What happened here today? Nikhil Alexander-Walker shot one of eight from three and one of nine from the field overall. And when you look at the opportunities that he got, those were all wide open opportunities. And it was just progressively worse and worse. When he first subbed into the game, Nikhil did what he has done all tournament, which is to um, spark the play, which is to, you know, hit threes. He looked great and looked confident. It looked like another good Nikhil game. In fact, when Nikhil first came into the game, literally came off a, du- a double screen at the top, was able to get himself a three from the, from the start. So literally his first possession, nice on a three. Uh, next time down, he drives, uh, gets cut off in the lane, get, draws two defenders, kicks out the door in the weak side corner. Dort knocks down a three. And then Nikhil 
is chasing on on ball, navigating some screens, draws a moving screen foul. So it looked great. And that's essentially what Nikhil has done for the tournament up to this point. However, it just completely fell off, especially in the second half, where once again, Dylan Brooks with the super aggressive on ball defense. Look, he creates steals. But in this type of game against Brazil, they were not giving up the ball one on one. They're not doing enough driving into traffic. They're not doing enough fancy. You know, they're not doing enough like on ball screening where they have to navigate double two defenders or anything like that. They did a great job of not playing in crowds. And so when you're just trying to swipe a guy one-on-one at the top, a lot of that is gambles. And we keep seeing this pattern again and again with Dylan Brooks, where he'll pick up two fouls a game just on pressuring on ball. Now, on the whole, I agree with the idea. You set the tone, you come in, and and you, you know, again, pressure the play. However, how many times when you watch this game did Dylan Brooks make his defender flip? How many times did he make him shield? How many times did it cut off the action? It didn't. And so when you're just constantly slapping, you are taking yourself out of the game, especially in a five-foul game like FIBA. And so typically that's okay because Canada would have some pretty strong reinforcements in Ludor and in Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And Lou played well today. That's fine. When Nikhil came into the game, especially in the second half, air back-to-back bricks on wide-open corner threes, and those are the shots that he's been making the whole time. Then in the fourth quarter, Nikhil Alexander drives in, beats his man, goes in for a reverse layup. Not a difficult reverse layup in the sense that, you know, it's it's a shot he would make, I would say, 90% of the time. Shanks the layup as well. This is all in, essentially when Canada was giving up the lead uh, with their bench to start the fourth quarter, which is another issue. We'll get to that as well. But then Nikhil breaks another three from the corner, and then the last one that he got opportunity, Shea drove, kicked it to his cousin in the corner, and Nikhil, again, has been Canada's best shooter Shot the ball and it literally from the corner and wide open, and he literally shot it off the top of the backboard. And luckily, Canada was able to get the rebound. Uh, unfortunately, went back out the door. He missed another three. My, my point overall is Canada didn't have the threes dropping. Another, you know, um, ingredient for an, for an upset there. Brazil really enforced Canada out of the paint. Um, they really wasn't able to allow Canada, or they weren't allowing Canada to really play in the middle. Even Shea had a hard time getting to the middle, but he has kind of stops and spurts with his offense throughout. It's not like he's dominating every single time. Like, this is not like watching Luka play for Slovenia. Like, well, let's be honest. There are very, very much levels to this, especially in this particular competition. Um, but, again, you don't have your corner threes dropping. Okay, so then what else is not really working for Canada? Well, Canada didn't really have the size on the floor. Part of that is they just got in foul trouble. All right, Kelly Olenek kept getting hunted. Like, the whole game, Brazil was just going after Kelly. Now, I wouldn't say Kelly did a good job at all defensively. There were plays where he was getting beat off the dribble going to the basket. There were plays where he was rotating over at the basket and providing zero resistance. Guys, even though he's in position, guys are pushing him out of the way to make the layups and make the shots, right? And, of course, on top of that, you have to compensate for him because of the fact that Brazil was specifically targeting him on switches with their quick guard, Santos, against uh, Kelly. So what do you do? Now, of course, this is where I have not trusted Dwight Powell um, in the course of the just the lead up here. But at the same time, I got to give credit. Dwight Powell has played really well up to this point. Everybody's played really well up to this point. However, in a game like this, what, what you really needed was a physical small ball five who can kind of move his feet, who can keep guys in front, uh, and, and who can really, you know, a, have the physique to battle with Bruno Caboclo. You know, Bruno's bigger. Battle Bruno, but also help out defensively with your switching. In a game like this, which really should have favored Dwight Powell, even over Kelly Olenek, let's say, Dwight Powell ends up fouling out. And he ends up fouling out, failing to guard Santos. 
um in, that's the fifth foul santos drove to the basket you know got the step and uh you know i mean it was a kind of 50 50 call but like realistically um it, it's a foul and, and canada's defense was beat dwight powell wasn't reliable in this game they weren't really able to find him at all he really made very little impact meanwhile on the other side bruno caboclo played great but we'll get to that in a second so that's also the weaknesses that canada was really being exposed on defensively their bigs a little too slow a little too small and that both happened uh, and then, of course, when Canada really got pushed to the wall, they went small ball with Melvin Edgem at five, where uh, Jordy was playing offense defense for the last three minutes of the game. Every opportunity, you know, to sub in his defensive player, which was El- uh, Melvin, he would put him in. And then of, on offense, any opportunity that he could to sub, he put in Kelly. Neither one worked. Um, nothing against Melvin Edgem, but and it actually wasn't his fault. What Brazil did really smartly was, okay, we see that you've gone small ball with all, all wings on the floor, and your intention is to switch everything. In fact, you're even switching on things that you don't even need to switch on, like completely harmless off-ball actions in the first five, six seconds of the play, where you know Brazil's not going in the five, first five, six seconds, and they're still switching. And the thing with, when you concede the switches that easily is that it creates opportunities like the one for Brazil, where it was 62-60 for Brazil, um, and in the last minute, and Brazil had the ball, and Santos had just scored driving in for a layup on the previous play, what happened there was Canada was switching everything. And whatever, you switch everything, that's, I guess, the game plan. However, when you do switch everything, you do create mismatches. And it doesn't have to be mismatches where, okay, oh, the big's got the ball, uh, who's, the big's got a small guy on him, let's throw it into the post. Brazil's not dumb right what they did was like all right we got the mismatch and so in this case it was shea switched on to um bruno in this case and shea is the least physical defender out of the five on the floor for canada in the moment what bruno did which was very smart and what brazil did was okay on that switch instead of throwing the ball to bruno and you know playing through the post what bruno did was he made sure to use his size to get inside position against shea and then sealed off Shea. And honestly, Bruno was so big in that moment. He was kind of sealing off the entire lane for Brazil. And that's where Santos was able to drive in one-on-one and beat Dylan Brooks to the spot. Now, I don't even blame Dylan. Santos is way quicker than Dylan. Um, I would only say that, you know, you could probably sag back off a little bit. But hey, listen, you can critique these micro kind of decisions. Realistically, a super quick guard is going to beat a, 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 slow, a slower defender. That's just physics. However, you need help, right? But that's where Canada wasn't able to help because of Bruno's seal. And things like that where they just needed, they pre-switched and they almost unnecessarily switched. And that's the thing. There are more physical defenders on the floor. For example, let's say RJ was switched on, was originally on Bruno. Let's say Melvin Edgem was originally on Bruno. Maybe a more physical defender like that would have been able to wrestle his way, hold the position. And if you are able to keep Bruno in the lane but not sealing one half so that there's literally an open pathway for Sancho's to drive into the basket then you actually have an opportunity to provide help on the rim. Instead, there's literally no help, and he drives in for the layup. It's 64-60, and it's pretty much game over at that point, right? So again, Brazil did a really good job of switching, or taking advantage of Canada switching, and on top of the fact that they got offensive rebounds. One of the killer plays of the game, Lou Dort is is defending... um, Santos, which is completely fine, right? You you want one of your best on-ball defenders against their best on-ball player. Brazil gets a shot up, it, it misses. Santos sneaks in behind Lou Dort and gets the offensive rebound and throws it back in uh, to to the middle of the post where I think um, you know Canada had to, to foul on that, an opportunity. That shouldn't even have happened. That's a stop. You need to get the rebound, and you can't let this 5'10 guy sneak around you. And that's where, as a defender, Lou Dort, that is your, that's part of your defensive assignment, and you know that. 
right? These are things that you need to do, especially as a defender. You need to nail those details. And the fact that you let a guard way smaller than you creep all the way around, all the way under the basket. It wasn't a long rebound. It wasn't like, okay, it kind of just bounced in the right way. No, that's a lack of attention. And that's a lack of discipline from the whole Canadian team when you look across the board in terms of some of the breakdowns. Shea going under screens against shooters, off ball. What? You know what I mean? Like, you know, Kelly Olenek, you know, being so soft defensively on some of those plays. If you're going to make a contest at the rim and you're seeing the physical nature of this game, you need to bump him. Right? If Dwight Powell, honestly, in a lot of these games, when it gets messy, I don't see him at all. Right? Dylan Brooks taking unnecessary fouls over the course of the game. Those are things that will catch up to you in these kind of games. Blowouts, everyone looks good. Close games, you need to nail the details. And I didn't think Canada nailed the details here. And then on offense, R.J. Barrett. First off, I didn't think Canada did enough to feature R.J. Barrett, right? But at the same time, it's like, I get it. You don't necessarily want to feature R.J. Barrett so much because he's not your first option. However, you don't give R.J. the ball for so much of the game. And the only time you really got R.J. the ball deliberately was the first play coming out of the halftime, third quarter. First play Canada ran, they got RJ off a duck in, maybe a screen involved off ball, but he curled off the ball from the corner to the middle of the floor, high low pass to RJ, and he got he drew a foul and he went to the foul line. I think he made one of two. There were so little of that in the offense. So much of the offense was just give it to Shea and let him attack. And and again, that gives you a baseline, but that does not give you any sort of additional thing. And it allows Brazil to load up five defenders against one, especially when you can't get guys to shoot off ball. That's where you have to establish your off, your, your secondary option. And look, I wouldn't say RJ played well. RJ forced his offense at certain times. I'm sure he, he sees the responsibility in himself to create offense for the team and all that kind of stuff. And there were plays, especially down the stretch, he had a drive-in layup where he, you know, tried to muscle his way in. That's typical of his kind of style. Um, got to the layup, but, you know, sh- short-armed it, then fell over. Like, it, it's, it's all bad, right? I'm not saying he had a good performance. But in the overall, you didn't do anything to feature him as a secondary option. And so what's he's really supposed to do for you in in a game where then you then need offense later on in the game and you're like okay well it's tight we can't go to rj well then what do you have at the end of the game right it cannot be shea and lou Dort as a two-man game the thing with that shea too is that it's very hard for guys to play off of shea i feel like and this is not a critique of his game it's just, it's just how it is it, because he's mostly playing isolation he's taking a lot of dribbles and he's kind of like able to take any shot so you don't necessarily know when you're in position to catch and shoot, when to cut, when to get an offensive rebound. That wasn't really happening all that much. And again, Brazil did a great job of guarding on the overall. So you you have those missing elements. You have Dylan Brooks, who had two points. Uh, and, you know, that, that was it for the whole game. I mean, I, I like that he's turning down shots, but he's not really creating much offensively for you. Um, and then, of course, you go to your bench as well. And listen, I understand Jordy's, you know, dilemma in this kind of game. It was close in the first half. Can't really go to the bench all that much. It was you create more separation. Um, you know, at at the end of the second quarter, you end up getting a ten point lead. Then Brazil is fighting with you. You know, you're not able to stretch that lead. In fact, Brazil's actually eating into it, but you're still able to come out of it, leading up seven with a huge three by Brazil to beat the buzzer to end the third quarter, which gave them a lot of confidence. Okay, so Brazil's feeling really good. They're like, okay, we're in this game. We're down seven. We just made a buzzer beating three with our big, who's not really a, a scorer for us. Definitely not a shooter. But he makes a buzzer-beating three. It's a big moment. How do you come out? And Brazil pushed the pedal to the metal. They actually went with a lot of their featured players. Meanwhile, Canada came out with a lot of their, their bench. And it's like, I get it. Like, start of the fourth quarter, it's a physical game. It's an exhausting game. I'm sure you want to give your guys some rest. 
But there is a lot of bench-holding lineups, especially in a game where it's like, okay, Nikhil's not doing anything for me offensively. In fact, he's so rattled that he's shooting, a really good shooter is shooting shots off the back of the back, or the top of the backboard, right? So you can't really rely on him. You, I mean, Lou Dort is scoring, but like, let's be honest. Do you want to live and die on Lou Dort scoring? No, you don't, right? So what do you do? Okay, I'm going to put in Phil Scrub as well. I'm going to go into some of my backups. And it's like, man... There just was very, very little for Cannon in those groups. And this is something that's been happening over the course of the game, or over the course of the tournament, where Jordy will go to a lot of their bench-only lineups. And again, against Latvia with a 20-point lead, do whatever you want. Do whatever you want, right? But in this game, when it's close, when Brazil has an edge of momentum and you need to keep just pressing onto them, you give that opportunity, Brazil ends up, you know, coming back and tying the game and then eventually taking the lead multiple times in the fourth quarter. You've surrendered momentum. You bring back in Shea to save the team. Occasionally, he can give you some buckets, but, you know, like that, that, that that's it. And by that point, Brazil knows exactly what to do. Towards the end of the game, I was like, this is, this is really starting to look bad. And I think the other part, and the last part I would say, is just the fouls that were very much accumulating for Canada, where they were not even over aggressive, but that's their typical style. They get into the ball, they press you, all that kind of stuff. That accumulated for fouls. Brazil was able to, you know, be in the bonus for a lot of this game. A lot of Canada's players were in foul trouble. That forced Jordi into shuffling his rotations, which is okay. Um, because you do have some depth, especially on the wing. However, um, it just did not look like the whistle was favoring Canada for a lot of it, right? And I'll give the officiating crew that amount of grief. However, down the stretch. You cannot complain one bit as a Canadian fan about the whistle for Canada in the fourth quarter. The breaks that Canada was catching was absurd. In a tied game where, um, uh, in a tied game where uh, Bruno Caboclo gets the ball down low and is an opportunity for a layup, Lou Dort jumps up, swipes at the ball, ends up hitting Bruno in the head. They go to review. Right. And earlier in the game, the context here is Bruno did the same thing where Kelly Olenek was kind of he's like slipped or something. He got back up and went up for a shot and Bruno committed the foul. And then kind of after the whistle, Bruno hit Kelly in the face. Now, the difference here is pretty clear. And that's what's explained by the official in the mic'd up segment, which is awesome that you get to hear the ref. But the official explained in that instance, well, he hit, Kelly, you know, Bruno hit Kelly in the face. That's a flagrant foul that gave Bruno actually two fouls and forced him to sit in the bench. Very important player for Brazil. Right, huge break for Canada. In this instance, Lou Dort also hits Bruno in the face, so they reviewed for flagrant foul. Luckily, they saw they're like, well, you know, Lou on the swipe accidentally like grazed Bruno's arm just before he hit him in the face, and so therefore it's not a flagrant foul. That would have been absolutely huge. That honestly, like I see the in the instance, it wasn't a play on the ball in the sense that there was no way Lou was going to reach the ball. Bruno had rebounded the ball with his seven foot seven wingspan, kept it above his head and was like, you know, maybe like nine feet above the ground. Lou Dort jumping up with his, you know, he's much shorter, much smaller, had no actual play on the ball, just happened to hit him on the arm and then hit him through the face afterwards. Very easily could have been ruled a flagrant foul, especially given the precedent on earlier in the, in the game, but you don't get it. That's a huge break. Another huge break. Shago Alexander is guarding the ball. The guy turns the corner. Instead of relying on the help, Shea tries to gamble in. And this is something that Canada does a lot. There's a lot of gambling, a lot of swiping. Okay. Um, he reaches in, fully slaps the defender across the arm, and, and, and the ball rolls out of bounds. The referee somehow doesn't see that. The, the player's complaining. Somehow that's not free throws. 
right? For Canada. That's a four for Brazil. That again, it was, these are all one possession opportunities. These are all huge plays. And then coming back down the floor, Shea's driving one on one against Brazil's bigs, um, turns his back and then kind of falls over. There is a bump, but there was like 200 of those bumps over the course of this game. All right. I don't know why we need to do the air show in Canada. Um, like this is not necessary, but like you, you have that same sequence where Shea draws the foul and realistically it should have been a no call and that center was going to drop on Shea and force the, the, the jump ball. So those are three breaks right away for Canada in the fourth quarter, again, in one possession game. Another huge break, okay? Canada has the ball five seconds um, and they're trying to run a baseline out of bounds play. Now, five seconds is actually a decent amount of time to run a play, but this is where it goes haywire. Kelly Olenek, oh, so first off, Shea's the inbounder, which... Honestly, with five seconds left, that doesn't sound great, okay? Because I would actually prefer the ball to get to Shea, and especially given the uh, physicality of the game, there's no real guarantee that he's going to get a dribble handoff back and then also be in position, especially for a guy like Shea who likes to take a lot of dribbles. If it's Clay Thompson doing that, that's fine, right? Okay, boom, boom, two passes, and then he's he's shooting the shot, fine. Shea likes to handle the ball a little bit. So I'd rather the ball inbounded to Shea rather than Shea, literally you're choosing him to be the out-of-bounds inbounder, Okay. So whatever, you choose him to be an inbounder, I get it. He's also your best passer, so it's fine. You use that, that opportunity. Here's what happens. Kelly cuts, so he, Canada's inbounding from the corner, and Kelly cuts straight to the corner, the strong side corner. So he's pinned in, gets the ball. Now, I thought Kelly was going to do what it happens in like probably 90% of the time in those kind of instances, where you inbound in the corner, you you know curl back out towards the top where there's more space, because you have two options, right? You can drive along the sideline and, cu- and curl towards more space, and maybe someone else comes off ball. And, and you know, again, whatever, whatever. There's not a lot of that for Canada right now, but there is more space at the top of the floor, objectively, when you're inbounding to the corner like that. Instead, Kelly chooses to drive along the baseline. Now, the thing with that, and the, the mar- one of the main reasons why you don't do that is because the inbounder has to get back into the play, right? And so Shea comes back into the play. Well, when he steps in, he's literally bringing him and his defender into that baseline area. And I guess he's not expecting Kelly to take that option. Kelly instead drives that baseline through the crowd, sloshes through, gets the shot up, doesn't go, gets the put back, doesn't go. Both are air balls. And this is where the big break happens. First off, the fact that Brazil rebounds the ball, just him, and he goes up. Somehow he bounces the ball off his own head off the rebound and it goes out of bounds. Now, the call was initially made for Brazil possession. Now, Jordy, and this is a good call, Jordy and the whole crew initially signal for, okay, yeah, we got a review. We got a review. Okay, good review. They go to it. Now, upon the review, I'm like, okay, well, it looks like Canada did, um, well, Brazil did lose the ball. However, Kelly airballed both attempts at the rim before the rebound and so that should be probably Canada with like 0.3 seconds left right uh, instead though we caught a break where even though Brazil never grabbed the ball and then came down with it which I think is the definition of a rebound but okay he's mid-air and even though he has the ball with two hands he bounced it off his head upon like before landing and it drops out of bounds and we're talking about he had the ball maybe like like a quarter of a second Right. Because I mean, let's be real. It's not like Michael Jordan's jumping for this rebound. We're talking about Guy Santos. Okay. So the, and again, the referees are mic'd up. The referee explains that, okay, he secured possession, uh, but then lost the ball out of bounds. So Canada should get a fresh shot clock as well. Now, what I don't understand from the official is how Canada only had 14 seconds on the reset. 
uh, as if it was an offensive rebound versus 24 seconds, which is what you would get a full shot clock off a turnover. Um, so that's confusing to me. That feels like an error by the officiating, because if you actually did um, rule, which is what they did in this case, that Brazil secured possession on the rebound midair, then lost the ball to bounce for our turnover, that should be 24 seconds for Canada. It is not an offensive rebound for Canada, the, uh, So, which is the only instance where you would have 14 seconds. I don't even care about that. It doesn't really affect my view of, of the game. Canada got a full possession and, and quite fortunate to do so. But regardless, just a fortunate sequence overall and... You know, another opportunity where Canada caught a break because I really think it should have been counting the ball with like 0.3 seconds left having wasted their challenge. But you have those plays as well. So I don't even want to say the officiating, like the officiating was bad. Like that's a, just a big mistake to give Canada 14 seconds out of 24 or, or, or 0.3. Those, it's a huge decision there. And, and, and both sides were complaining about the foul calls. But over the balance of the game, I would say Canada was disadvantaged by the officiating. But down the stretch, you cannot ask for like five bigger breaks than this. You really can't, like, unless you really want the official to score the ball for you. So there's nobody really to blame but Canada. However, again, having said this, the, now that you've lost, now that you have brought your expectations back down to like, a, oh, my God, I'm scared, you have to get over that feeling and you have to look at the game. You have to break down the tape. You have to work on the things that Canada, you know, A, got comfortable in, that Canada got sloppy in, and that how you can counter that. Because when you are going in the next game against against Spain, and listen, there's a real chance that Canada just washes Spain, right? Canada has that ability to overrun a team. And typically what you need for that is you would need really weak on-ball defense against Shea, not physical, which I'm not expecting at this point in the tournament. You probably need that. You need your guys to hit a normal amount of threes, including instead of like eight for 30. You need uh, lots of turnovers to get out on the break. You need offensive rebounds. And so it's quite possible that Canada gets out of those four advantages, like three or four of them against Spain, and they and they they route and we're like, oh, look at Canada, look blah blah blah, 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 blah. like all the you know you know love that we gave them after that France performance and and and, and subsequent ones afterwards. However, the more important thing is you look at the weaknesses and you adjust to them. How can guys internalize this? You see the loss, and you correct it. Right at next game, I'm going to watch for is Dylan Brooks going to take two fouls guarding on ball just swiping a no a nothing right because that needs to be cut out i need to see dylan burks on the floor he's been great right i need to see him on the floor and if you take yourself with two you can't give yourself two dumb fouls when you only have five he gets subbed out every single game because he's, he's in early early foul trouble and for what really right for what that's got to be corrected right for Nikhil, can he regain his confidence? We know he's a good shooter but you saw the course of the game losing his confidence losing his confidence to the point where it was erratic and you can't count on him. He's too important for Canada. He's like Canada's like fourth and most important player. He's like most of their bench production. He needs to bounce back with his confidence, find ways to get him going. Can Jordy find an opportunity to get RJ the ball? Not like, oh, RJ scores in transition on the windmill dunk, and overall he's like, well, RJ had 18 points. Like, it wasn't that bad. No, like half-court possession, can we run something for RJ? Where are the spots you want to run the, the, the offense for RJ? And if it's not that, then can we consider starting lineup changes which I think was very, very unlikely in this case. But still, we need to change our matchups and our lineups so that we don't have RJ and Brooks on the floor not creating threes, especially in games like this where they really, really collapse. Again, like Canada's really only starting two shooters, right? It's like Shea, who's not really even a shooter. He's just a guy who can score everywhere. And then Kelly, who also has the ball enough times where he's catching in the post. So there's a lot, a lot of three-point attack for Canada, especially in the starting group. Can't be too surprised that Canada starts every game slow, right? But... 
again, that's contingent on the fact that if you don't establish RJ, what are the ways you can find him the ball? Because if you don't find him the ball, he will, especially in the mindset of a score, try to impact the game that way. And it's going to look a little bit tough, right? So that's got to be an adjustment. What do we do against size? What do we do against, are we switching? Are we going to play a straight up? And honestly, in a game like this, what kind of creativity do we have? Yes, are we have a base defense. Our base defense is our guys are really good, especially on the perimeter, pressuring the ball. And they're usually able to turn the guy. They're usually able to force some turnovers. However, in a game like this against Brazil, and look, I'm not saying that I'm, you know, like any idea of, I'm, I haven't coached on any level. I just watch basketball um, and, you know, I'm a fan of it. However, let me just propose from a very humble position, something, a strategy in this kind of scenario. All right. You, you have... One guy on Brazil who is handling the ball for 20 seconds and going with four seconds off another shot clock, maybe throw a double team at him, right? Maybe trap him late in the clock and force Brazil into something they're not used to instead of the same rhythm. But we didn't even see that one time in this game, right? We didn't see that one time. Where is the creativity? Listen, I've been giving Jordi a ton of credit on the program, and he deserves a ton of credit for how he's managed Canada. I like the way that he's played this base defense. But this is where in a game you look at it, it's like, what would have Nick what would Nick have done in this opportunity? He would have came into this game and look at it and like Brazil has one ball handler who's creating most of their offense and they're going super late in, in a very predictable fashion. I'm trapping that guy. Right? You have watched five years of Nick Nurse basketball for the Raptors. I've watched five years of Nick Nurse basketball for the Raptors. They would have trapped this dude. And listen, Ken did do a good job against Santos in the sense that he didn't even get his first bucket until the third quarter. But down the stretch. You look at some of those plays and you're just like, all right, I'm just going to switch. And like, no, that's too simple. That's way too simple, right? So again, we really only have until Sunday to regroup. So it's more about getting your rest, getting your mentality and finding the game plan. But again, I need to see more out of this group. I I think Jordy let us down today. I think Nikhil let us down today. I think RJ let us down today. I think Kelly, I think Dwight. It's on the whole team, right? But how do they rally? Because there is clearly lots of quality for them. And yes, you can ruminate on this loss and be like, damn it, man, this is going to go up in those memorable losses for Canada. Like, you know, we're going to put this beside Venezuela. And we're going to put this beside, you know, uh, Czech Republic, and we're just going to feel sad about it. Man, screw that. You still have an opportunity. At least you put yourself in a position where you are 3-0 and through the group stage, and so you're able to sustain one loss. You're able to eat it. Yeah, you missed an opportunity here. You were still close in the game. Lou honestly missed a three. That if, if, if there was like even .1 more seconds left on the clock, that would have put Canada in the lead. It would have changed the game entirely. Doesn't matter, though. You got to get over this. You got to look at the flaws, and you got to address them, and you got to come up with a game plan. You got to be prepared because Canada is a very good team. And there are a lot of expectations riding on them. They have shown us enough of those. And I guess everyone, especially in Toronto, is just conditioned to, like, you know, fall apart and wallow. And I get that feeling. I've been there, and but I'm not here for this one, man. Canada can take the next game here if they just correct their errors. You got to get past the negative feelings, and you got to look at what the actual results of the game were. You got to help Shea. You got to, you know, everyone's got to space out well. And again, defensively, there are so many more, in terms of just, on-ball defense that they need to get better at, but also in terms of just the details, but also from the coaching perspective, just give them a little bit of something extra. I cannot believe that the whole game, Brazil had one guard, eat 20 seconds of the clock and then go without him seeing a single double team, without him even being forced to hit a three at any point. You know what I mean? Like, that has to be better. But in any case, credit to Brazil. This is a great performance. I think it's a it's 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 um, not too surprising in the sense that Brazil has had a good roster. And honestly, man, shout out to Bruno. Like, every time I see Bruno, I just remember, like, 
good times, like silly times, really. I look, I look at Bruno like the way I look back on middle school. I'm like, all right, like that wasn't serious, you know, but a lot of random stuff happened. And, um, you know, you kind of laugh about it later on in life about like, remember those times. That's what Bruno kind of felt like when he came to the Raptors, a middle schooler. And to see him grow into the body that he has right now, to see him play and, and just execute and not play up to his potential because it was like, oh, my God, he's Brazilian Kevin Durant. He plays nothing like Kevin Durant. He plays more like a Brazilian Bam, let's say. But the way he was screening, the way he was rolling, the way he was doing smart things like the seal, he's learned the course of the game. He's learned how to play. He's obviously grown into his body. He's very imposing when you watch him. He's learned how to play center. He's, you know, uh, pretty good at center, too. It seems like he's he was able to make multiple bank shots and difficult opportunities, euro steps, things like that. Obviously, his natural position is small forward, but he's found his niche. And I'm really, really happy for Bruno. I know that definitely over the course of my, you know, coverage of the Raptors and you know, Bruno has been, you know, this kind of meme. And so, like, I've made jokes about Bruno. I'm just so happy to see him grow into his game, man. I mean, it sucks that it came at the expense of Canada, but he played excellent, and he's been excellent for Brazil um, at multiple times. Again, this guy literally was there to stop Giannis, I think, at the last World Cup. Like, so you have to give Bruno his credit, and he was awesome in this game. Yes, we can say what Santos did, and he was great. Bruno was Brazil's best player by far. And the only reason he didn't have a bigger impact was because Canada, you know, put some fouls on him. And it wasn't even anything that he necessarily did in terms of errors. It just went at him a lot. But he did a great job in this game. So credit Bruno, former Raptor. Um, and, and yeah, beloved Raptor, really, because, uh, of again, just all the whimsical times we have with Bruno. So uh, unfortunate game, but Canada loses. Uh, your three stars from this performance. Um, I'll give Shea the first star. I mean, look, listen, Shea did everything he really could. Right. I mean, you could have maybe asked Shea to play more minutes. He only played 33 minutes and 42 seconds. Right. Could an extra two minutes of Shea made a difference, especially when Nikhil not really doing anything as the backup point guard? Probably. But it's harder to say that. Right. He wasn't in foul trouble or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, just creating offense the way he did. No transition opportunities either. So all the points are half court. All the points are against one or two defenders. Very difficult. I wasn't really able to get creative like offense down the stretch like in the last two minutes, but. I don't know, man. He's just clearly Canada's best play. Even rotated it at the basket for a block on Bruno. Like, just, wow. Just amazing. You have your point guard making weak side help blocks at the rim, point blank, against a center going up strong with two hands. Like, I just don't know many players in the world that can do that. So, we are still very fortunate, and we will always have a great chance with Shea at, at the helm. Your second start is going to go to Lou. Uh, 17 points off the bench. I mean, that was just super unexpected. Obviously, gave you his defense as well. Wasn't able to get on offensive glass as much. But, yeah, Lou is just, you know, I mean, the fact that he gave you 17 points. Like, I'm happy with seven from Lou. So, 17 is nuts. Including one here. He had, like, a – he, like, curled c- coming off of, like, some screens in the mid-range. Like, like um, like Rip Hamilton or something, and then made a, a shot. I think that actually put Canada in the lead when, like, two minutes left. That might have been Canada's last year of the game was Lou Dort hitting a mid-range curl. Like, wow, that's good good for him, man. But, yeah, he, he, he tried to step up. It just wasn't enough. And then your third star, I don't even know where to go with this. Like, like I, there's just very little across the board. I was very disappointed with Nikhil, very disappointed with RJ. Um, a lot of the other bench guys didn't even play. You know, Kelly did not impact this game the way he needed to outside of drawing that foul. Dwight Powell, I'm just, I do not trust Dwight Powell in international competition until he is, I mean, again, all due respect to him, like, I, I know everyone's com- contributing, but I just, no, man, as, as a starter, like, this, you're not serious. So, I I, I, I don't, I, you know what, I'm going to give the third star to Gustavo Conti, the, the head coach for Brazil. 
he did a great job of preparing this game plan. He's done a great job overall with, with just managing Brazil for this team. He's got his team to prepare and a- execute. And, like, we're talking about a team with, you know, let, let's be generous and say three NBA players. Again, this is another example of, like, you can't just go with NBA players and just, like, say that this is a better team, right? If And their most notable NBA player is Wawul Neto, right, who's been a longtime backup point guard for the Raptors. Gary Trent Jr. once hit a three against them for the win against uh, Washington and, and uh, you know, Raul was was flopping on the play, but they lost him to a serious injury early on in the tournament. It's huge, huge blow. Santos was supposed to be their backup point guard, right? Instead, you're able to adjust and create that opportunity where you're still able to compete, you're still able to get wins, and now you've gotten one of their most for one, your best win of the tournament against Canada. Um, but not only that, but again, you look at the actual NBA talent on the roster. It's like Bruno, who's not even in the league right now. Uh, Cristiano Felicio, like I. Who like you know what I mean like I, I know who Felicio is for sure, um, you know he's he's been playing for for, for Chicago. Uh, why does the air show need to exist? Who is this for? Who is this for? As a citizen of Toronto, who do, can I call Olivia Chow and complain about this? Um, but seriously though, like Huertas, who used to play for the Lakers. And he had that infamous play where he hid behind Spo and then got in for a steal against the, the Heat. One of the funniest plays I've ever seen in the NBA. He literally physically hid behind a coach for a steal from behind. He's like 42 years old, right? So, like, what are we really looking at with this roster? So, you have to give the credit to Brazil's coach for coming with the game plan and then upsetting Canada to this degree. So, again... For Canada, it's unfortunate. It's a missed opportunity, but at least they have another opportunity, and they have to correct a lot of things before they go to Spain. More importantly, they need to regain their confidence, get their rest, and for the fan base, like, like I can't tell you how to feel. You're going to feel what you're going to feel, right? No one can really tell you how to feel about anything. But realistically, we have to, you know, just rally behind this group. Yes, it's so easy to go in and just, especially online, and just be like, yo, haha, let's joke about the team, all this kind of stuff. And trust me, like, I'm I'm part of this too. I'm, I'm, maybe I'm even saying this for myself. But like, there's a real chance here. These guys are competing really hard. We know what the quality is. It's better, I think, to lean in and to support this group rather than to jump on them on the side of clowning them. There's just no need for that. There just isn't any need for that. I, these are guys that, you know, we are putting all expectations to. We want to see them succeed. We want to see them get a result of this tournament. We want to see them get to the Olympics. We want to see them erase the baggage. Forget the baggage. A lot of the baggage isn't on these guys, right? It wasn't a lot of these other guys' faults that they didn't get to the Olympics, right? The previous years. Put put all that aside. Let's just focus on the Spain game. Let's support them um, because this is a really good team. And we don't need to change our minds just because, you know, a couple of things didn't go in their way today. But more importantly, we need to correct those. So thanks, everyone, for listening. Please continue to rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and it will have a reaction podcast coming out on Sunday after Canada plays Spain. It'll be at 9.30 a.m. Unfortunately, Liverpool versus, uh, I don't even know, Aston Villa. Yeah, that, that, that might have to go to the second screen for me on Sunday. I'm going to have to watch this Canada game really intently, uh, and uh, hopefully Canada is able to survive there. So thanks everyone for listening. Rate, review, subscribe to the podcast, and we'll be back on Sunday.